So we're, we're kind of following along in Genesis, and we talked about in the very first week, we kind of discussed um, that God from the very beginning kind of began to show who he was in his nature and his character, and he began to re re really reveal that within the first six chapters. And then we kind of slowed down and we got into the story of Abraham. And we talked about how that Abraham had been given a promise by God, but that after a few trials, Abraham began to deviate from God's plan and deviate how God told him that all of this was to come about. And tonight, I am going to kind of continue on talking about Abraham. You see, Abraham had, had somehow become so focused on the promise that he lost sight of God. Meaning that he was more focused on seeing the promise that God had given him come to pass than he was at just simply obeying what God told him to do. Right? Because God was very explicit in telling him, this is how it's going to come to pass. And yet we see him continually trying to negotiate with God and trying alternate routes and all things. Um, until we, we finally get to a place where he, he is sinning. So I find it very interesting after all of that, that Hebrews chapter 11, and I do have the verses that are going to be displayed because I want you guys to kind of see this. So you're welcome to follow along in your own Bibles if you have them. If you don't, they'll be up on the screen. So I find it interesting after all of uh, Abraham's mistakes that Hebrews records it this way about him, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should, after received for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Nowhere in this recap of Abraham do we see mention of Abraham's many shortcomings. Nowhere in this short recap do we see the many times that Abraham deviated from what God called him to do. What changed in Abraham's walk so that he was defined as this man of faith? What was Abraham's defining moment, if you will? Now, it's worth noting that all of us throughout our lives, we have several defining moments. Moments in which we make a decision that will drastically change how the course of our life goes. Right? And it's not that if we make one bad decision, we're done. But man, when we make that wrong decision, sometimes it makes it a lot harder to get to where God is calling us to be. Right? So we have these moments, these, these kind of crossroad moments, if you will, where God is giving us an option. Because it still always falls to our choice. But God is giving us an option in how we are to respond. So what was it for Abraham that was kind of a defining moment that really changed the rest of his life? And I think we find this, one of his most defining moments, in chapter 22. Now let me just give you a little context here. In chapter 21, at the very end of chapter 21, or throughout chapter 21, we see Hagar and Ishmael being sent away. So sometimes the first step in our, our um, journey to getting our life to where it needs to be with God is putting away our way of doing things. Putting away how we think the, the, the promise should happen. Setting that aside and saying, what does God want for me? So that's where we are in, in, uh, in chapter 21. And, and he's there, the Bible says in the last verse, uh, verse 34, many days. But if you actually look up that word many days in the Hebrew, it actually is a reference to many years. So he's there for quite some time after he sends Hagar and Ishmael away. So now we pick up in Genesis chapter 22. 
And I'm going to read verse 1 through 18, but I'm going to take some breaks through a couple verses and explain some things along the way. So let's start in verse 1. And it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto, unto him, now, another word that could be used here for tempt is test, because there's, there's, there's kind of a difference here. God wasn't hangling like a, a sin in front of his face saying, oh, why don't you do this bad thing? No, he was testing him, and he was giving him um, a test to see what his response would be. And he said unto Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And verse 2, and he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Listen to what God just asked. God just asked Abraham to take his son Isaac, whom he loves, his only son, to a mountaintop and offer him as a burnt offering or as a sacrifice. So there's two key things I want to point out right here at the beginning. Number one, I want you to notice this phrase, thy son Thine only son, Isaac. From the outset, we see what is at stake. The promise given to Abraham, the one that he had been waiting for for nearly 30 years now, hangs on his one son, Isaac. So God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac is a huge deal on so many different levels. Now, we as humans on the surface may say something like, well, why would God ask him to sacrifice his son? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, his son didn't do anything wrong, right? So why would God ask him to sacrifice his son? And this is part of our, our problem in our, when we view the Bible through our own human emotions, our flawed logic. Because we say, well, Isaac was innocent. Well, was he innocent? All we know is that everyone is born in sin, shaped in iniquity, right? We know that the, the wages of sin is death. We know the Bible says that all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. Now, I'm not trying to call Isaac a bad guy here. I'm not saying he was doing something horrible. But what I'm saying is, is that him, like you and me, are all sinners who the wages of that sin would be death if God doesn't intervene or hadn't intervened in our own individual lives. The next thing I want to point out to you is this. You will recall in the garden that God, actually I'm going to back up a little bit. You, you will recall in the garden that God provided Adam and Eve clothes made from an animal to cover their sin. God was establishing a principle that one way or another, or another the cost of sin must be paid. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Okay, so kind of keep that in mind. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There has to be a payment for the sin. The second thing I want you to, to pay attention to is the location of where all of this is taking place. The land of Moriah, or some would say Mount Moriah, and we'll get more specifically into this soon. I'm not going to go into this yet, but I just want you to log this word Moriah into your brain. Because we're going to see it come up a couple times. We're going to jump back into our text here in verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Now, on its face, this verse doesn't seem like a whole lot, like we're just kind of getting the logistics of what's taking place here. But I want you to notice something. 
after receiving a word from God to lay his promise, because that's what he's doing, he's laying his promise on an altar, his only son, Abraham, doesn't argue with God. He doesn't negotiate with God. He doesn't try to offer an alternative solution to God. He simply gets up and goes. He doesn't try to alter God's plans. Instead, we simply read that as he gets up early in the morning, meaning he got up early with the intention of making this happen. In his mind, I believe Abraham had already done this thing, meaning that Abraham had become resolute in his mind, this is what God had called me to do, and this is what I'm going to do. Now, really interestingly is when we get into verse 4, it says this, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Pause right there. For three days, Abraham is journeying to get to the place where he's going to sacrifice his son. It can be easy sometimes in the emotions of a really hyped service when you're feeling the God's presence on you in that moment to make a big promise of what you're going to do. When you're feeling that emotion. But then when you leave and you sleep and the next day comes and you're like, wow, that's kind of a big commitment that I said you know, I was going to do. I don't, I don't know if I really can go through with all of that. So, so we start to doubt and we start to, to question, can we really do this? But the Bible tells us that for three days Abraham journeyed knowing this whole time what he's called to do. But yet we don't see anywhere recorded that Abraham deviated from the plan. Verse 5 says, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now I read this verse like 15 times. Right? Because I just told you, I believe that Abraham in his mind had become resolute to the idea of what was going to happen. That he was going to go and offer up his son for a sacrifice. And yet, what does he tell the men? He says that me and the lad were going up to worship and then we're coming back. Well, well, those two things don't seem to match together, do they? Except that I believe, and this is my belief, kind of reading into the story here, what is taking place is Abraham's faith is such that he knows God gave him a promise and God will make the promise come to pass. No, Abraham probably had no idea how. It was going to come to pass. He had no idea was he going to offer his son and then God was going to resurrect him? Was he going to offer a son and he just come as a spirit? He had no idea how God was going to go about his promise. All he knew was that God would give him the promise. And I think that part of why he was so resolute at this moment is that he told Sarah and Abraham, at the appointed time you will have a son. And what do you know, at the exact appointed time, boom, the promise was delivered. So now Abraham's faith is strengthened and he said, okay, he said at the appointed time it would happen. It came to pass. So if God has given me this promise, I have to trust that it's, it's going to happen. Even, even if God calls me to place the promise on an altar. And that's my title tonight. It's just simply a promise and an altar. God had called him to place the promise on the altar. Now, I have to, to admit if this was me, even if I was being obedient in my mind, I'm probably still freaking out. We don't see Abraham freaking out on the outside, but I have to imagine in his mind there's worry there. There's concern, there's doubt, there's uh, not understanding why or what is going to take place. And it's okay for us to have those feelings, those emotions, as long as we continue to walk 
in faith. We pick up in verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. I just, I've highlighted so many things on here, it's almost kind of pointless because I almost highlighted everything. So I don't want to tell you all my highlights, but I want you just to highlight or log in your brain here this phrase. And laid it, he took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it upon, his, uh, upon Isaac, his son. Okay? And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both, uh, and went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So Isaac's like, I'm carrying this wood. We got fire. We got a knife. But I sure don't see an animal here for the sacrifice. Verse 8, And Abraham said, My son... God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And there came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar, and there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid on him the altar upon the wood. Now I'm going to pause right here and just, some of this, some of you may, may say, Wow, this is something I never knew. Some of you may be like, yeah, I've known that forever. So Isaac is being tied up and laid on the altar. Now, if this was a little kid, there ain't no way that's happening. No way. But despite all the, the, the Sunday school stories, Abraham wasn't a child. If you actually do the math from the end of chapter 21 and the beginning of chapter 23... Abraham or Isaac was actually in his early 30s. Some historians actually believe that he was 33 years old. Keep, keep that number in your brain. So Isaac willingly was laying on the altar, seeing all of this about to happen, willingly laying there as a sacrifice. So now you, you're getting the mental image here. When Abraham raises up his knife, Isaac full well knowing what's happening. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, we're in verse 10, and took the knife to slay his son. And the Lord, or and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. Now, just as a side note, the angel of the Lord there is believed by many that it's a theophany, meaning that it's actually a manifestation of God, that it's not really just an angel, but it is the very presence of God speaking. Um, and here's how we know this. When you read on, uh, it, the the Tense changes to saying I and speaking on behalf of God. So verse 12 it says, And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. We see that phrase yet again, thy son, thine only son, from me. Now we see what really changed in Abraham and why we see recorded in Hebrews the, the change of what Abraham is known as a man of faith. He loved God more than the promise. He loved God more than the potential benefit of what God might bless him with. He loved God more than his own son. And as a parent, that's a hard thing to really think about. It's a hard thing to really consider. But God tells us that when, if we have to choose between God and even our family, we must hate our family and choose God. Right? At the end of the day, we ultimately must choose God. Now, here's the great thing. God doesn't ask us to hate our family. 
And in fact, God asks us to love our family so much that we raise them and train them and teach them so that they also love God. But what God was doing is, is asking and defining for Abraham where your allegiance truly lies. Is it with simply this promise, this blessing that I've offered you? Or is it ultimately with me, the promise giver? And fortunately, Abraham chose the promise giver over the promise. When you love God first, you will trust his plans and not deviate from them. This is easy to say, but in reality can be hard to do. God has so many blessings in store for you, for me, for this church. But the blessings are not the purpose of our life. Remember what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes. After all of the things that he witnessed, he summed it all up by saying, the whole sum of man is to serve God and keep his commandments. Despite all of the wisdom that he had on all these other matters, he boiled it down to saying that this is the sum of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Now, if you don't want to listen to his words, how about the words of Jesus? In Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 27, it says this. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Therefore take no thought, I jumped down to verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. This is what God is saying. I see your needs, and I remember the promises I have made to you. Don't worry and stress over those things. Instead, focus on me, and I will provide for you. It is human nature, especially as men, to constantly worry, how are we going to provide? To constantly worry, do we have enough money to stretch? Do we have enough money to make sure that our family is fed? It's, it's, it's within human nature for us to always worry about these things. And Jesus is saying, I'm the provider. I'm the one who's taking care of that. So if your focus is on me, I will give you those things. So now let's pick back up in verse 13 of Genesis 22. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. So if you have your highlighters, it's a good place now. We're going to verse 14 through 16 is a great place to highlight. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, yet we see it again, that in blessings I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. 
And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because thou hast obeyed my voice. Remember I said that there were two important things that I wanted to point out to you in these opening verses. First was that Abraham was being asked to place his promise on the altar. And that by being obedient to God, replaced his promise. By, and by being obedient, God replaced his promise, Isaac, with a ram caught in a thicket. The ram provided by God was there to take the place of Isaac, of the sacrifice that was required. Remember the second thing that I said you need to remember was the location of where this was occurring, Moriah. You see, about a thousand years later, after this, at this very same location, King David bought the threshing floor of Aranoth, the Jebusite, and built an altar to the Lord so that a plague may be held back from his people. If you remember the story, David was told not to number his army because yet again, why? David had been given a promise, right, about the nation. And God told him only to rely on him. But David deviated from God's plan and numbered the army and trusted in numbers instead of God. So God, there was a plague that was starting to come on the people and thousands of people were being killed. So David went and bought a piece of land on the same range Mount Moriah, is, it's really a range, it's several mountains together. And it bought an area to offer sacrifice to stop the plague. So God heard his prayer and stopped it. And then we see in that same location later, Solomon then takes that and builds onto it and creates the temple. The very presence of where God's glory would be. How do we know this? 2 Chronicles 3 and 1 says this, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father, in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So what do we see here? We see yet again David building an altar and placing the promise, the trust, on that altar, saying, God, only you can fix this. Remember that Genesis 22 records this in verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. God not only provided for Abraham, but was there for David to provide mercy when David sinned. Not only that, God was there to provide for his, his nation in the building of the temple. All of these surrounded the idea of an altar, a place of sacrifice where God becomes the focal point, And all of man's fleshly desires are set aside. But wait, the best is yet to come. In John chapter 8, verse 55, listen to what it says. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was... I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now, often when we read this passage, where we focus our attention is where Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. And, it, and it's a good, good thing to focus on because what the, the Jews understood was that Jesus was using the phrase, I am, in the same way that God said, I am that I am from the bush. So they understood that. 
But you see, there's something else really awesome in this passage. Let's go back to verse 56. Listen to what he says in that verse. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. When did Abraham see Jesus' day? Now, you can say that maybe God gave Abraham a vision of what was to come. That's possible. However, let me give you another alternative here. In Genesis twenty-two thirteen, 13, it says this, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now, Jehovah Jireh means my God, my provider, right? It means he's the provider. So the first time this verse is, that phrase is used is not God providing money, not God providing clothing, but God providing a substitution for the death of man. And in that passage it says that to this day it is said that you will see it on the mounts of the Lord. Abraham knew and saw what was happening right there was God was showing his plan. That he was setting in motion that he was to provide an alternative to man's death by providing his own sacrifice on that altar. But wait, we're not done yet. When you're studying scripture, there's one way to study scripture called the law of first mention. The law of first mention just simply means that the first time you see a word or a concept mentioned within scripture, it is setting the standard of what that verse means or what that word means. So then you see it unfold throughout the rest of scripture. So for example, Anybody know where the first time, the very first time the word grace is used? In Genesis chapter 6, in Noah. Listen to what it says, Genesis 6 and 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here was the wickedness of man, that, and the punishment was death. That's what God was saying. Their wickedness has brought about a penalty for death. But because of who I am, I am going to offer grace. Now here's what's awesome. And I mentioned this before, and if you need to kind of see this in context, you go to 2 second, uh, second Peter chapter 2, and you can get a little more context on this. Noah was called a minister of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness is the word that's actually used. Let me ask you a question. What is my job as a preacher? Is my job as a preacher to just find grace for myself, and to, to not say a word, and to hoard it to myself, and, and just go and, and die somewhere, and then go to heaven? No. My calling as a preacher is to share with you the message of God's grace so that you also can be partakers in God's grace. So Noah, being a preacher of righteousness, was undoubtedly doing the same, preaching the message of God to the people. Thus, when the ark was done, God provided seven more days while his family sat in the ark, seven more days for the people to come into the ark. Because he was sharing that grace given to him to the people, saying that, you deserve death, but I want you to have grace. So now, let's look at the very first time we see the word 
love. A very big concept throughout all of Scripture, right? God is love. So what is the law first mentioned when it comes to love? Well, we find it in Genesis 22, verse 2. And he said, Take now thine son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. The first time we see the word love is in the context of sacrifice. Sacrificing one's only son, right? That is the first time we see the word love. And that seems like, man, well, that's kind of an odd, odd way to express love, to, to sacrifice your own son on the altar. But, but see, that wasn't the end of it because God provided a replacement. Yet again, the whole purpose of all of this is restoring man back to God. So God was showing them that what you deserve is death, but in my love, I'm going to offer a substitution for that sacrifice. That's why we find phrases like this, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Or John 19, verse 16 through 17, Then delivered he him there unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. The love of Jesus willingly laid down his life on the altar as a replacement to Isaac and all of mankind. Now, as I was reading through this, and I, I kind of really started digging into this idea of, of Isaac's age being in his early 30s and possibly 33, and if it was exactly 33, it's... It's cool, but it doesn't have to be exact to, to match what was happening here. Isaac's age, understanding that he was an adult, that he was willing to lay down his own life to be obedient to his father, that he was his son, his only son. I said, well, what other, what other comparisons here are there to Jesus? And man, let me tell you, there's, there's a lot. You know, Isaac was 33 years old. Jesus, 33 years old. Isaac was... The only son. Jesus was the only son. Isaac was born of a miraculous birth. Remember we've learned that Sarah couldn't have kids and Abraham was beyond his years and so God had to restore all of that. So there was a miracle that brought about Isaac. Of course we know Jesus born of a miraculous birth. Isaac was given the wood to carry up the hill that would be used to sacrifice himself with. Jesus, of course, carried his own cross. Isaac willingly laid himself down on the altar without fighting. My guess is, is that in Abraham's old age, and Isaac being a young man, could have very easily overtaken his father and stopped him from being killed. Likewise, Jesus said, all I have to do is say the word. Legions of angels will come down and stop this. Anytime he could have spoke, but yet he didn't. He willingly laid there. And all of this occurred on Mount Moriah. Anyone want to guess where Golgotha is? On Mount Moriah. And actually it is believed by many scholars and archaeologists that it is the same spot on Mount Moriah. Where, <laughs> and you want to know the word that's used for, for that event because that's a pivotal event for Jews. The offering of Isaac is a very pivotal event for the Jewish faith. And it is for ours too, but we see the fulfillment of it. So they look at that. There's a word that's used there called Akedah. A-K-E-D-A-H. I may be mispronouncing it. Akedah. 
It means the binding. The point in which Isaac was bound to the altar to be sacrificed. And in the place of Akedah, we find Jesus bound to the altar of the cross to be offered as a sacrifice. And I look at all these things and I'm like, how? How can the Jews not see this? How can they not understand that this place they call so holy, this place where they said, it's on the mount of the Lord, we will, future tense, see it. And yet now is the moment that they are seeing it and Jesus is making it come to pass. It is the fulfillment of all of it. And we know that Jesus was resurrected and Isaac was resurrected. Now, you may say, wait a minute, Isaac didn't die. That was the whole point, that a, a ram was, was caught in the thicket and it took his place. But let me close with one final verse. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. Hebrews 11, starting verse 18. Of whom it is said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. So the promise. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. When you read this, it is saying that Isaac did die and was resurrected, but in a figurative sense. How? How did that happen? Isaac sacrificed his own flesh that very day. He said, I am willing to put myself as the promise on this altar in obedience. And as a result of that, God not only resurrected the promise, but allowed it to grow and flourish like never before. And then we went from, from him having one son to two sons to 12 sons as we're going down the line here to a nation of 12 tribes to Jesus to where the numbers cannot even be counted. So if we could all stand... This is what I'm asking you. I've given you a piece of paper. And I'm not going to beg you to come to the altar. I'm not, I'm not going to do anything like that. But here's, here's what I'm asking. Like Abraham, are you willing to take your promise and place it on the altar? And what this is symbolizing, what this is meaning is not that you believe God is going to kill your promise. But rather that you are saying that I love the promise giver more than the promise. So that even if the promise doesn't come about how I think it should, even if it doesn't happen in the timing that I think it should, I'm still going to trust God first. You see, there was a time, and I've referenced this many times before, but there was a time where I didn't think that I would ever be standing up here again. There was a time where I thought I maybe made too many mistakes that God could never use me again. And over time and through lots of prayer and people praying for me and lots of reading, I got to a place in my spirit where I said, God, I don't care if you never put me back up on that pulpit again, if you never give me a title, never give me a position, because that's not what it's about. But you see, as a young man at the age of 17, I had been given a promise that I would stand before people and teach. But it took a lot of hardship and a lot of trial and a lot of mistakes for me to get to a place of my own spirit where I say, God, I'm going to take that promise you gave me as a 17-year-old man. I'm going to put it on the altar. And if you never resurrect it, it's okay. Because I still love you and I know that you still love me. And man, how God began to knock down doors so quickly. So tonight, I'm asking that we just close in prayer. And for those who want, if you, if you want to take and and write a promise down. If you want to come and place it on this altar, don't put your name on it, fold it up. 
I will throw them all away. I will not look at any of them because it's not about me seeing them. It's about you making a commitment that it doesn't matter what 2021 brings for you. If you see the promise come the way you think it should, but God is first and he will take care of everything else. So I'm going to play some music just quietly. And you have the opportunity to pray, come to this altar, lay your promise down, and let God take care of the rest.